Is it true that you can leap over a chair from a standing position? It depends on the size of the chair. Uh, I'll cheat a little bit. The big electron, the big electron. So I have cheated very badly, you see. Of course you feel it. Now what do you want to know? What I want to know is what's going on. I think it's time to blow this thing. Get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Big Electron on KCOU 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening with us. Hi, I'm Anahita. And I'm Adam. <laughs> We are without our fearless leader tonight, Jackie. We miss her a lot. She's enjoying some time in Mexico, I believe, with her some family. Have fun in Mexico. <laughs> so we're going to take this opportunity to science it up, uh, but we'll do our best without her. It's going to be a tough journey. We can, we can do it. Okay, so we have a couple of cool topics picked out for tonight. We're calling this our Puppy and Pollution Show. So yeah, Puppies and Pollution will be about um, a flu going around in canines. So um, let's say that you experience like sleepiness or sluggishness, a loss of appetite, a runny nose, a cough, a fever. You'd probably assume you had the flu. And these are all of the same symptoms that uh, we're seeing in canines. So um, dog flu isn't a new thing. In 2009, actually, there was a vaccine for uh a dog flu called H3N8, which was a mutation from a horse flu um, that was being run through canine. So this a vaccine was um, approved back in 2009, and it was seen going through a lot of doggy daycares and dog parks and especially boarding kennels. So that's all great, but unfortunately, a brand new uh, virus is spreading through dogs, and this one actually is lasting longer so it'll take as many as three weeks longer than the previous dog flu <laughs> for it to run through your dog system and um this new one is a mutation of an avian flu which is h3n2 and it was first actually only documented in asia until recently so back in september is when a chicago outbreak was noticed and since then, it has been reported in 25 states um, with significant outbreaks in Atlanta and Cincinnati. So the poor little puppies. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, that's rough. So they've, they had the previous one, and now there's a new strain. Yes. That so people... the previous one was from horses, and this one is from birds. Okay. So people in Colombia, should they be worried? Um, so there have been no outbreaks that have been noticed in Colombia yet, but the problem with these, these flus are that they're very contagious. So 80% of dogs that come in contact with the virus will become ill uh, within a week and symptoms will show up for an additional 10% of dogs within two weeks. So that's 90% of dogs that come in contact with the virus are getting the flu. And since they are uh, 
spread through um, kennels and doggy daycares and things like that with the holidays coming up if you travel and end up boarding your dog somewhere else that's really the only time you would have to be worried about it and um, as humans we don't have to worry about catching up but we are carriers of the virus so if you go to a dog park and you pet a dog that's maybe from Chicago that's visiting Columbia for the holidays and then you pet your dog you can carry the virus okay so, and also I assume dogs are pretty, pretty vulnerable to getting this because they're kind of like kids. They're always licking things. They're always yeah. touching each other's noses and other areas and uh, they're not exactly clean. So I bet, I bet once something gets started, it spreads really quickly. Yes. Luckily there is this vaccine that's coming out. Um, it's been conditionally approved. Uh, but I can't say I know exactly what the conditions are. I think it's if your dog is exhibiting the symptoms, they'll administer the vaccine in hopes of lessening the duration of the flu. Or maybe in like certain areas, they might be providing this kind of thing. That's possible. Or like, for high risk populations. I was going to say like Chicago, where yeah. it's most noticed, they're probably being more open with it. So I have a question of vital importance <laughs> to me. Is this uh, transmissible to my cat? Oh, I can't say I know. I don't see anything in the articles I was reading about it going to anybody or any other animals. Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I was wrong. Oh, no. (laughs) This is going to be bad, Adam. A handful of cats have contracted it. Oh, no. Wow. We're going to barricade ourselves. (laughs) But it seems like the cats have a much lower risk of um, exhibiting symptoms. Well, (laughs) cats are pretty solitary. Not all cats, but I think most cats aren't really super excited to go up and hang out with dogs that might be carrying. Very true. But I'm still going to barricade myself. (laughs) Sounds like a good excuse to stay inside. Absolutely. Avoid everything. We'll Hmm. just use this as the excuse. But uh, it sounds like people have uh, something to look out for. Yeah. Okay. So in the second part of of our puppy show... Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about this breakthrough that recently happened where scientists have now successfully bred dogs in vitro through in vitro fertilization. So um, this is something that we've been doing in humans for like a long time. Basically, when I when I saw this when I when I saw this article for the first time, Uh, when I saw this, I was really surprised because I've heard of IVF being really common in people for a long time, and I couldn't figure out why this is such a big deal uh, for dogs. But apparently this has been a really big challenge, Um, and only through kind of tweaking their in vitro fertilization process, they were able to finally figure this out. It's taken decades. And basically, there was two things that they had to tweak. And one of them was to uh, leave the eggs a little bit longer um, before doing the fertilization process. And the other was to introduce some magnesium into the system because that more accurately mimics the natural canine system so just these two little changes that's what was responsible for holding up 
like three decades of work. It's so crazy. Yeah. That's got to be really frustrating for somebody. Like, yeah. Oh, those two things. Because <laughs> that was someone's whole life work was figuring out yeah. those two things. Yeah. For real. Well, that's a lot of puppy business, right? Yeah. I mean, puppy business is good business. So if I understand correctly, then we're going to talk about how puppies are increasing the levels of pollution on <laughs> the earth. I, I may have misunderstood. <laughs> Something like that. Well, puppies oh. are polluters. <laughs> that very specific kind of pollution. <laughs> Cool. All right. So with that, we'll go on a brief break and come back with some more of our puppies and pollution show. And we'll see you in a bit. All right. Oh, um, we're ready to uh, to continue our discussion of various puppies and uh, and pollution and forms of uh, puppies and pollution where they cross over with each other, uh, which they don't. That was a joke. But anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, pollution right now because that's a little bit, a little bit easier. Um, so it's a very science um, relevant topic right now. It is. It's been all over the news. It's all over the news. And in particular, <clears throat> we're going to start with what I think is agreed on the Paris climate thingamabob. Um, I'm not entirely sure that it has a formal name, but it's been all over the news lately. So if you're a news reader, I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you about this. Um, yeah, it's definitely but, been big. Um, this this conference, it started Saturday? I'm totally it finished wrong. Saturday. It finished Saturday. Yeah, it like, had gone totally on. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it had gone on for about, <laughs> for about two weeks, I believe, I I'm probably wrong on that. Uh, it went on for a little while, and apparently it was extremely stressful for the people doing it because they were like fainting in the aisles and mm. so on. <laughs> Exhaustion at trying to negotiate a negotiation involving almost 200 countries, which is like all of them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, all with different things that they're trying to get, different things that they're concerned about. With completely different, you know, goals and agendas yeah. and worries and is uh that's probably pretty tough or, <laughs> so i would guess i, I have never tried but I, I also don't plan to um so. so i guess i mean that's nearly every country on earth and they're all together and committed to reducing greenhouse gas emissions that's like that's really impressive uh, for anything to be agreed upon. That is really impressive. And especially given that, you know, some people still think of this as some sort of science debate. Yeah. There's people who still aren't even on board with the fact that this is happening, that global warming is a real thing. Yeah. So for the entire earth, basically, <laughs> to get together and say, well, this is a problem. Let's do something about it. I mean, I'd be surprised if we could get, you know, representatives from every country on earth to you know, gather, if we if we ourselves in this room could get them to gather right here uh, at the University of Missouri and agree, we are all human beings occupying this planet <laughs> right now. Like, it's mm -hmm. impossible to get agreement out of that many. Mm -hmm. So for this to be unanimous is, is just nuts. That's so amazing. It, so it must be pretty important. So we, we were going to, we were going to uh, see if we could pass along any information about this 
this event in any kind of coherent way uh, as it relates to the science of it or not. Um, right. I mean, so this is clearly very heavy in policymaking because the science can tell us like, oh, global warming or climate change is happening and this is a result of greenhouse gases. But um, actually getting everybody in the world to do it is policy. Yep. And policy, especially for uh, countries that rely on the things that are emitting greenhouse gases like China, is a really big step. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And every country in like China in particular has its own unique, you know, set of issues that it is responsible for and that it uh, can work with. It's got its own set of issues about how it will be impacted both positively and negatively mm -hmm. by changing what they do. And every country, ours included, has that, that same kind of unique set of circumstances, unique for every country. So, yeah. Um, and there's all the countries that think it's really unfair that in the United States here, we got a head start and we got to do all our pollution a long time ago. <laughs> mm -hmm. And we made these huge economical advances because of that. And so they're saying, well, now it's our turn. You can't, you can't say, no, we can't do it. Apparently one of the major uh, selling points of this deal for China was that we were willing to make some sort of, that, that is, the U.S. government's representatives were willing to make some sort of informal acknowledgement that, yeah, we pretty much started this whole thing. <laughs> um, part of it. And, you know, it's not even a thing that actually ha anyone has to do. Simply an acknowledgement that mm -hmm. the so-called developed countries of, you know, North America and Europe, basically, mm -hmm. were the heaviest polluters for the longest time. Yeah. And that's not even saying we're going to do anything different than any other country, but just that acknowledgement apparently made it pretty sellable in oh. China because otherwise they feel like apparently some of their representatives felt like they'd be accepting uh, blame somehow hmm. for something they don't feel responsible for. So just that, that little bit of politics right there. Interesting. Politics and psychology. Yeah. yeah. All sorts that, of things going on. Simply that acknowledgement was, was a major help in getting them aboard. Wow. Um, which is pretty effective, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd say, considering it costs nothing. And is a fact. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, for a long time. Yeah. Um, but China at present now is the world's biggest polluter. Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty unsurprising, really, when you think about them being the largest population on Earth. Uh, that is the country with the largest population on Earth. And sure. uh, undergoing you know, really heavy industrialization. And it has been for, for decades now. So they overtook us, the U.S., yeah. as the top polluter a few years back. Uh, and they have a lot that they need to do mm -hmm. to uh, get climate change under control. So it's a pretty um, it's a pretty big deal for them to have agreed to be part of this at all. Mm -hmm. They were, the Paris uh, talks here were not the first time they've had talks of this kind. Apparently they tried to do something similar to this in Copenhagen, Denmark, uh, six years ago in 2009, and it did not work out. And mm. a lot of the participants blamed that on the Chinese uh, delegation, saying that they had sort of mm. refused to go along with what they were trying to do at the time. The same thing that they did now, which is a unanimous agreement. So wow. for this one to have succeeded is, uh, is a pretty big turnaround. It caused a lot of celebration all over the world. So. Mm. Yeah, 
in like one of the articles I was reading, everyone was crying. Or not everyone, <laughs> but a lot of scientists and policymakers that were at the conference were just crying over the fact that such an agreement could be made. And you made an interesting point about China has the largest population, so it's, you know, the most pollution. So I kind of did a quick Google search. So I was curious, per capita, who has the most pollution? And according to Wikipedia, anyway, <laughs> it's Qatar. Oh, oh, of course, yeah. Followed by Trinidad and Tobago and the Netherlands. Huh. The Netherlands surprised that me. That does surprise me, too. <laughs> so, really? yeah. That one I would not have seen coming. The other two countries both make sense because they're small yeah. countries, I, so and they're both oil producers. So yeah. to have. But I will say that that was as of 10 years ago. Oh, okay. So it takes a couple years for this kind of data to come in. Even on, under other, um, like the word, the World Bank database about it, it's as of 2011. So I guess it's okay. just a couple of years until this kind of information is out. Yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Wow. Well, so there is some um, some discussion we can have here about um, uh, about some of the details. So a big part of this, the goal of this um, conference is to control global warming. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the entire point. Uh, that's why they are concerned about um, you know decreasing carbon emissions. Yeah, that is a greenhouse gas when you have a lot of it. Mm -hmm. If you have a lot of it, it's going to cause the temperature to go up. So they have some pretty specific numbers that they're targeting here. Um, one is that they're trying with this agreement to keep um, to keep the temper the global temperature from rising more than two degrees Celsius above what it was before the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. so they've got pretty specific like degree numbers here about how much allow this to go because apparently that number two degrees celsius above pre-industrial levels is what they think would be about the maximum of what we can tolerate before we become a mad max movie or something mm -hmm. like uh, please don't be too terrified i'm exaggerating that by a lot <laughs> but they do say that that would that a two degree temperature increase would cause an increase in the kind of yeah um there's flooding issues flooding, natural disasters yeah, in areas bears. that we currently live mm -hmm. in yeah Oh, yeah, boy. the polar bears have been suffering for a long time. Yeah. yeah. So there is some, I mean, this uh, has brought about pretty close to universal praise from people, but not entirely universal. There are some mm -hmm. folks saying this doesn't go far enough because mm. this agreement, as it is now, presuming everyone continues to play along with it, doesn't exactly achieve that two degrees Celsius max. It would allow it to go up to about 2.7. Oh. That's the estimates. Two degrees seems like a really small number. Sounds and so it sounds like it. But then when you say 2.7, that's a huge difference from 2 to 2.7. Like, you know, we're still talking about really tiny numbers, but I assume that would but also mean really big consequences. Even 2.7, yeah, would be better than what we're on track for without mm -hmm. such an agreement and without changing some of the carbon emissions and decreasing them. Um, so it could be even worse than that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, 2.7 is fair amount above that two degree Celsius threshold that they were, that they were suggesting would yeah. be pretty bad for us. So yeah, I mean, this is not the be all end all agreement. There's obviously more that they would need to 
do. But if they can get countries on board to meet these goals, then mm-hmm. um, it's probably a lot easier to get them to go all the yeah. way down to the two after some years that this has been enforced. Well, there's a potentially a little bit of danger in us getting so excited about this thing because when you get excited about something like that, your brain thinks you're done (laughs) and we're certainly not done. This is kind of the, the very start of a very long, difficult process. And so we do have to keep that in mind too, that like, this is monumentous, but it's just the beginning. Right. It's nothing has actually been enacted yet. It's just the idea that something will be. We agreed. Right. And when you say that there's a lot of disagreement, there's, Yes, people do think that we need to go further, but of course there's people who don't think that it's a problem. Mm -hmm. Some studies show that in the United States, only 45% of the population thinks climate change is a problem. And in China, it's less than 20%. Wow, I had not heard that. I've heard that number about China having a really low percentage of people who think that's a problem. And I don't know what that implies because China has got lot of issues with much more direct effects mm-hmm. like smog yeah kind of issues stuff they can see right there with their stuff own that's affecting their health daily right. so for that to not seem like a big deal mm-hmm. i don't know what that implies mm-hmm. I'm not a social scientist that's one of the things they talk about um with us who are in grad school right now or just in science in general is the importance of science communication for that reason because what is the percentage of scientists that are convinced by global warming? It's it's very, very, very high. Mm-hmm. The, the discrepancy between scientists and the general public that agree that this is an issue is huge. And so, um, so maybe that's the issue in China too, is just that the people themselves are not getting access to the information that should, that tells them they should be worried. Yeah. There's um, something getting lost in translation yeah. maybe between the science jargon and data and figures. And yeah, maybe. And what the understandable conclusion is. Mm-hmm. And it's not always advantageous for everyone to acknowledge this stuff. Mm-hmm. If you run a factory, you know, you are not going to be interested in that. Right. And there's, <laughs> it would be to your interest to have some propaganda saying, you know, no, 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 we're doing, you know, the economy is the thing we need to focus on. I mean, what was fine. that car scare? The Volks, was it Volkswagen? Yes, uh-huh. I mean, so there it was their emissions that were too high. I mean, I bet they would love it if this kind of thing oh, wasn't just, around. Just so that if they it just could, went away. Yeah, just so they kind could of, save all that money they were losing yeah. from from the, the emissions testing yep. gone astray. Yeah, that stuff is fun. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so we were talking about China and their smog and how tangible their pollution is. Mm -hmm. And I came across an article earlier this week talking about um, some new technology that they've been developing in China. Um, And I believe this was done by IBM. And it's a type of um, computer learning or machine learning, um, which is something that scientists use in various various ways. Lots of different um, computer scientists are really interested in basically teaching a computer by looking at repetition and figuring out its own ways of guessing what's going on, um, teaching it to very accurately predict things in the future. And so now um, IBM has developed this program that's able to give a pollution forecast. 
um, for the next three days. So oh, wow. you can get your weather forecast and your pollution forecast. Um, and the, it seems like um, something that would mostly just affect people in their daily lives and their convenience and, you know, knowing whether or not they should go for a run outside or inside. But um, it actually has really huge implications for their economy because um, in times when China has been really worried about having clean air, which is usually times when there's lots of cameras on them, like the Olympics mm -hmm. or these other big, big, big events. Uh, so in, in cases like that, they, th they think, oh shoot, we need, to, we need to drop our pollution levels. And so they shut right. down the city. <laughs> but just everybody. Everybody. Yeah. Um, they shut down a whole bunch of factories and they say, well, if you have a car that has even number of, license plate number you can drive today. If you're odd number, you can't drive today. Um, and these, these really huge effects that affect everyone and billions of dollars um, just throughout the whole economy. So with this computer learning thing, now they would be able to uh, more accurately pick out like, oh, hey, this factory is a problem. Um, you know, if we shut down these select few places, then we're going to have the most meaningful impact mm -hmm. without totally, everybody yeah, else. everything. Yeah. When you said that program, I was like, oh, well, that would be great if you have asthma. Yeah. And you would know what days are going to be good days and what days are going to be bad days. But I didn't even think about like disrupting society. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they would love to shut down the really, really bad ones sure mm -hmm. because then the pollution would be under control better than it is now anyway and they wouldn't have to shut down every factory mm -hmm. they don't know who who the bad guys are yeah so could potentially help with that yeah identifying where all the really bad pollution is coming from because mm -hmm. much of it is probably against regulations they already have but yeah. they're just not enforcing yeah and something like that is really hard to enforce um without having a really clear picture of what's going on and where. So this should be a pretty huge thing. Science to the rescue. Yeah. Be Beijing in particular has been in the news for the last few days because they've had this uh, red alert levels mm -hmm. of smog uh, going on, like as we speak. So The first ever, I believe, right? That is what they said. Yeah. yeah. So They probably didn't even think they would ever need a, a, a code red. They probably thought... Oh, we'll just make it go up to here, and then and then yeah. it'll look okay if we're in code orange. Yeah, they're they're orange is just this giant gap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're gonna need they're gonna need more colors. Uh -oh. If they if they <laughs> not addressing the problem. Yeah, it sounds like this could go a long way. Yeah, very cool. It's definitely interesting how all of these like so there are these like social figures. I guess maybe that not, might not be the right word that are um, weighing in on on this uh, greenhouse uh, gases and emissions and all of that, like uh, like the Pope or uh -huh. different celebrities and things like that. Um, and so it's it's interesting how there's this like science and it's been it's been there for a long time for a long time. We've we've been seeing these effects. We've been seeing the trend of global warming, but. You know, it takes a lot more than just the scientists. Mm -hmm. I think it's like because this affects everybody, we can see everybody weighing mm -hmm. in on it. But if there were like a 
lesser topic that didn't affect everybody. It might get like lost in the minutia. Mm-hmm. So these scientists really need to, as scientists, we really need to work on communicating better, mm-hmm. and making sure we don't get lost. Yeah, and pointing out that like this is not this entire issue, mm-hmm. Paris climate talks are trying to address didn't didn't just come up because a few people said i think this is an issue mm-hmm. i mean this was based on the analysis of huge amounts of data by yeah. huge numbers of people so it's um it is probably as you pointed out earlier madeline probably not great to get too excited about mm-hmm. things because then we'll just assume that we're done yeah but um um but it's pr- pretty good to be passionate about you know making sure that what's presented out there is accurate. Yep. <laughs> the flip side of that is um, we probably wouldn't want to be too passive at just saying, eh, who knows? Yeah. Because the, the data is pretty darn clear. On that stuff, so. Well, don't worry. I'm going to keep composting. Um, it's the only thing I know how to do to help. <laughs> I have one more kind of fun fact about all of this. Um, so when we think of California, we, tech- we typically think of, more like green, kind of a mm-hmm. hippie culture. Uh, California, the state, is responsible for about 1% of the world's... Wow, really? Yeah, <laughs> of the world's uh, greenhouse huh. gas emissions. Oh. Yeah, I would have expected that to be, you know, if there was going to be a major U.S. city, I would think it would be on the East Coast somewhere in some of these places that we think of being more industrial probably and have 1% stuff. Also. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but it was just interesting to me because I'm like, oh, California... I don't really think of that. That is really interesting. <laughs> greenhouse gas emissions. Well, I, I would have a question in response to that, and I'm I'm Googling furiously <laughs> to try and find the answer while we're talking about it. Is California the top producing state? They have if they're responsible oh. for one percent of the world's pollution, that's a substantial amount. Mm-hmm. But are they the worst one in the US? Yeah, I don't know. And or can we that find depends some on other villains? Yeah, if you're if you're talking per capita or anything like that, because honestly, um, yeah, a lot of the northern states per capita would be pretty serious offenders right. because of oil production and things like that. Yeah, I haven't uh, found the per capita, but I I admit I, I have a confession. I kind of already knew the answer to that <laughs> before I asked it, so I looked up some stuff here. I did learn something right now. Number three polluting state in the U.S. is Pennsylvania. So, yeah, that's one of those northeastern states with a pretty large population, and it's a a Mm coal-producing region. So that probably has a lot to do with it. Number two, California. Hmm. Number one, guesses? Do do you have any states Uh, you'd like to badmouth just uh, just arbitrarily, (laughs) like Hawaii or something? Honestly, I'm from Kansas, so I'm supposed to be badmouthing Missouri, but I wouldn't believe that. (laughs) Uh, we, well, why not? Uh, <laughs> no, but it is, it is Texas. Oh, uh, sure. That would have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, I was, I was again, going to guess like New York or something. I don't know. I was thinking like New Jersey. I was like, hi, yeah. that's, that's a curveball. <laughs> I got to think of a weird state. <laughs> well, Texas is the second biggest state in the U.S. in terms of population. It's mm-hmm. a huge area. Mm-hmm. They're oil producing state. Mm-hmm. And Everybody needs air conditioning there. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Which is probably part of the reason and California is such a high... Program. And a big car. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and a truck. Trucks. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of trucks. Yeah. So, Lots yeah. of highways. I, mm-hmm. I had actually read a few, just a few days ago, I believe it was in National Geographic. Of uh-huh. Mm-hmm. At, um, the issue from two months ago, which was all about 
global warming. Uh, they were talking about some of these these states there. So mm-hmm. I didn't get it from too obscure a source. This is yeah. You can you can ask those folks about. It. Sure. Um, yeah, it's um, we do a lot of pollution. So if California is doing one percent of the world's pollution, and it's, and it's number and three, it's only well, two, two, number two, okay, then and you know. They're not the only two states. There's sure. 48 more of them. So yep. imagine how much of a percent we as a country are putting in. Yeah. I think the United States is second worst. After China? After China. Well, I would the second that, yeah. largest emitters. I'm surprised that we're not the highest per capita, but I guess other countries having small populations. Yeah. Makes yeah, very small. Although the Netherlands baffles me. I don't get that. Yeah. <laughs> you can always write it off to you. Discrepancy, but but they've been so good lately. lately. Yeah, yeah. So um, there is um, another country I might bring up as far as uh, climate change goes. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one being kind of the um, the opposite end of the spectrum, not a gigantic polluter, but a very tiny victim of global warming, which is the Marshall Islands. Mm -hmm. I've, I've wikied this. The Marshall Islands has a population estimate of 72,000 people, uh, okay. which is smaller than the um, medium-sized town that we live in here. Yeah. And um, it's in the Pacific Ocean. and It's a series of low-lying reef islands uh, in the Pacific. So uh, with global warming, uh, if it goes ahead and rises more than two degrees or perhaps even less than that, those islands won't be islands anymore. Mm-hmm. They will be ocean. And the people will be fish. Mm. Uh, but presumably they would move. Uh, <laughs> rather, rather than, you would help. Rather yeah. than converting to fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, this Paris um, climate talks that, that has been going on, that just finished yesterday, um, was um, the project of... United Nations, but it was spearheaded by certain individuals, and one of them, um, one of the um, individuals um, most responsible uh, for making this happen is uh, Tony de Brum, the foreign minister of the Marshall Islands. Wow. This tiny little country who's become this sort of um, climate change, global warming powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Good for him. In this extremely tiny country. Mm-hmm. Yes one of the major figures in terms of making this whole thing happen. So he's, uh, he's quoted as being pretty happy. with this. Yeah. Good. So this is like a massive success for an extremely tiny country yeah. of among many others. That's, I just, the geography nerd in me thought that was really, cool. <laughs> that is really cool. But they're not the only country in the Pacific ocean in particular. That's like a micro state, you mm-hmm. know, less than a hundred thousand people that is under threat of being flooded and disappearing of rising sea levels mm-hmm. which could happen if we have an increase in temperature and ice caps the yep. poles start melting everything else gets higher all the way so they are not in favor of global warming mm-hmm. uh, as the rest of us uh comfortably here in in missouri where it's yeah. not snowing uh when it normally would be we may be okay with global warming under yeah. certain circumstances um as I, a floridian i have to disagree mm-hmm. ah. i i, I want to keep my state yeah. my home there state <laughs> oh florida yeah but i am the appreciating this mild weather yeah 
crazy. I can't complain about it, no. although I've got some concerns that it might just show up one day and be this like, oh, hi, it's winter, I'm back. <laughs> it has been raining all day. I'm thinking yeah. a front is coming. Through. Yeah, maybe. It'll be colder. I think, yeah, I think it's supposed to rain all week. So since we're talking about this, I just, you know, thought of another thing that was kind of interesting about, um, you know, boosting green initiatives and things like that. In Norway, the most popular car is a Tesla. Wow. So these run like $70,000 or something like that in the United States or like the cheapest one is that much. Yeah. They're super expensive cars here. But if you have a car, you have a Tesla in Norway. Huh. And that's insane to me that yeah. this is like the car that everybody gets and um it's not just like that people in norway are all super wealthy it's everybody gets a if you're gonna get a car you're gonna get a tesla wow and the reason why is because it's in, since it's such a green car um norway waves their car tax if you buy a tesla uh -huh. and the car tax in norway is like almost a hundred percent oh wow so it's Crazy high. So probably not a lot of people own cars in the first place. They Correct. do, I'm assuming, a lot of biking and yes. public transit and stuff. We're like kayaking through the fjords. <laughs> <laughs> that but sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, though, this uh, Tesla tax wave has been shut down. Oh, and no. And they're trying to tax for the Teslas also. Oh, bummer. So we're going to start seeing a rise in these other cars. But I wonder if this, these, uh, agreements at the conference will somehow like count yeah back maybe back to the tesla world well and even if you just had a ton of teslas on the market mm -hmm. i would think i would think the effect would stick around at least for a little while because you would just have a bunch of used teslas yeah. that you know people could <laughs> even if even if you can't afford the tesla on its own you might be able to afford a used tesla maybe yeah hopefully that this will and if it's not already in the works, hopefully the Paris climate deal will provoke some car manufacturers to mm -hmm. try and uh, improve their offerings of electric cars. Yeah. And I, I mentioned that possibility in particular because Ford claims that they're going to start pour, pouring literally billions of dollars into trying to develop an electric or hybrid car that is much better than what they do now. And as the driver of a Ford Taurus, I can say... They could stand to improve some <laughs> in their efficiency. So um, that would be another workable way is to have more players involved in that yeah. in that business and all these manufacturers rushing to try to, mm -hmm. to make more fuel-efficient cars. Mm -hmm. Well, there are a couple other bonuses. Like apparently there are a lot of tollways in Norway um, and tolls are waived for Tesla drivers. Oh. So even without the car tax, there's still an incentive but what's kind of interesting about that is um, all of these little extras are paid for by this uh, super wealth fund that Norway has. Huh. Oh, which is I know what that fund is. It's from like oil companies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. It's from the oil state money. oil company. Yeah. It's all oil. Huh. Isn't that crazy? That makes so much sense. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least that's better than the what, what the rest of us are doing with our oil funds, which is getting filthy rich. That's you true. Know. At least it's going towards something good. Touche. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> wow. Irony, though. That's yeah. <laughs> that is I'm a funny. big fan of irony, even when it's... Mm -hmm. Well, it's always ironic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Tesla, America. Yep. On this car tax mm -hmm. slash free toll roads. 
for Tesla's thing. Yeah, that's that's another option other than what I was suggesting. We could just have Tesla wipe out all the other competitors in terms of yeah, there you being go. the only car sold. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and we don't really even have the infrastructure for that yet, right? Like, what's the how far can an electric car go? It can't go as far as gas can right now. Right. And the U.S. is such a spread out place that we it's not work. always, you know, it's not it's not a road trip car. It's a, oh, I'm so going to work town and in town, yeah. Car. And that's such an American idea, this like road trip across the country. Mm-hmm. Like a road trip across the country in Europe isn't weeks like it yeah. is here. And so it's like ingrained in our American culture to want, car that will take you. Yeah. If I ever want to go on a road trip, I need a car with, you know, good gas mileage or can carry the kids and all of our stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If you were going to do that in Europe, you would just take the train. Why right. would you, <laughs> why would you drive? <laughs> Silly. Well, we probably could make some adjustments and still have, have this work though. Yeah. With mm-hmm. some, yeah. the idea of, you know, a recharge station or mm-hmm. some, some such thing driving across country, if that's the most important thing. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I love doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could be done. <laughs> I want to, I want someone to fund a study of me and my sister and how many fights we will get in <laughs> on a road trip together because it doesn't take long for us to start picking at each other. It just brings out the best in people. Yeah. So maybe the Tesla will prevent those road trip fights. <laughs> so no there's social trips. benefits. Yeah, yeah, making a more sane America one car at a time. Less road ragey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, and then that would be the whole other um, aspect of this is when are the driverless cars coming? Ooh. I mean, these yeah. things will all be happening at the same time. So. Sci-fi land. That mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that this isn't what like driverless cars are, but I always picture at Disney World the like bumper cars that are on the road. Uh-huh. And so I, I don't know why, but in my head, a driverless car is on a bumper lane track pretty much. I'm uh-huh. like forced to go one direction. And then, yeah, but I know that wouldn't work. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd still be pretty okay with that. Yeah. I don't like driving. I don't think anyone likes me driving. I think I think I scare people. <laughs> that's, that's a concern. <laughs> yeah. Although I'll, I'll mention that um, that um, my wife and I drove to Colorado uh-huh. last winter mm-hmm. uh, for, for the break um, to to visit my family who live there, and um, now this year we're flying, and that was my bad behavior behind the wheel <laughs> that led to that. Wow. <laughs> Uh, because kudos, it wasn't that I got road ragey. That wasn't the issue. It was, um, it was that the, um, the old Ford Taurus that I drive, the uh, windshield wiper fluid, uh-huh. that's really important in some parts of the country, uh-huh. like, like in Colorado, where you've got this combination of snow and mud that gets all over your windshield Gross. in a couple of seconds. Yeah. So when that's broken, you better fix it really fast. And uh-huh. you're a lazy bum like me, and you don't. Oh, no. Oh, no. And you might find yourself on the interstate trying to get home with mm. a windshield full of mud. Oh, no. And so so as a pretty reasonable precaution, we, we could have just fixed the car, which we, <laughs> we did. But also, we're not driving. The <laughs> that is just... Yeah, so it's an acceptable solution. That has nothing solution. to do with anything that we were talking about, except this, a driverless car would 
fix this problem. Oh. It make road trips possible, though not necessarily more fun. Because you'd still have to be in a car. Yeah. Yeah. Since we've gotten on this driving kick, I'm going to just talk about, real quick, bring up another article I read, which um, kind of made me happy to hear. But I'm going to start it off on a sad note. <laughs> um, the number one killer of young Americans is um, vehicle accidents. Okay. But a new survey says that there was a 38% decline in the number of young Americans, which would be 16 to 20, who are drinking and driving. Wow. So, yeah, there's... Huh. Well, that's excellent. Yeah, that's very encouraging. Do they make any speculation as to why that happened? That's sure. great. The author of the study, um, I'm totally going to butcher this, is Dr. Alejandro Azofaifi. And he said that the three that three likely explanations are a drop in drinking amongst young people. Cool. More aggressive law enforcement steps okay. like uh, roadside tests. Yeah. And uh, prevention efforts from from schools across like the dare. country. Yeah, like dare. <laughs> or just uh, these drunk driving videos have been um, being used more frequently, and and they're actually enforced in more states now than they used to mm -hmm. be. Wow. Well, that's good. Oh. Wait, did, did they say anything about seatbelts? I would kind of suspect seatbelts would also, oh no, drunk driving specifically. Yes. So seatbelts would be all accidents, Yes, but and so not specifically drunk. This isn't a decline in accidents. This is a decline in the actual number of people who are doing it. Okay, are wow. Which yes, lead to yeah, yeah. less accidents. Cool. But. Right. Well, that's good news. Nothing more to it. There. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, we see some statistics dropping with that also. Is yeah. that correct? Are there a decrease in in highway fatalities also? I don't know. I'm not, I, I would kind I of suspect like, like texting and driving would be... And I am so guilty of it. Oh, no. I know. I'm the worst. It's, I will say, though, in my defense, it's always a red light. Oh, and so yeah. I'll be stuck at the red light and get hot. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Like, it's not me actually driving. You're, yeah. texting. It's You're texting and being parked. <laughs> I, feel, I feel concerned that, I, that if I say, oh, that's not so bad then, that I might be somehow encouraging. No, yeah, don't yeah. encourage me. Um, <laughs> and also, I, I would be forced to admit that I also do that. Um, oh, which, yeah, I do the red light thing. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're, we're bad examples, kids. Don't, yeah. don't listen don't follow to us. Um, also, mom, don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't do what we do um, don't don't even do that at a red light yeah yeah so i have to say with this with this guy that studies drunk driving i bet in a career like that there's relatively few times where you get to deliver really great news Probably. i bet most of the things that you're telling people are really depressing and really frustrating um and you know they end up in Families that are broken and really terrible things. Mm -hmm. So that's great that he gets to deliver some yeah. some better news for once. As you say that, it's it was published in the morbid morbidity and mortality weekly report. Wow! So wow. weekly, the most depressing journal. Wow. <laughs> weekly, he gets to <laughs> publish in this journal of sadness. Wow! And I thought science journal was hard to swallow. <laughs> that's, um, that's really crazy. Hmm. Wow. Um, <laughs> oh. Well, I think does that wrap up what we've got to say for today? Yeah, I think so. I I think we've we've rambled on. <laughs> we hit puppies, pollution, 
and and now drunk driving. Drunk driving. There's no key in that. No. No. Can introduce one. <laughs> a silent P. <laughs> silent. <laughs> Great. <laughs> the silent P. Yep. That's been added. Well, thanks for listening to us, everyone. This has been the Big Electron on KCOU 88.1. And um, I think we'll let you go. Have a great night.